All right. Uh, good morning, Pillar Church. Uh, my name's Scott. I just want to welcome you guys here. I'm one of the elders here at, uh, at Pillar Jacks, and I'm glad you, you have gathered here with us this day. And uh, this morning, especially as we look to celebrate Palm Sunday, right? We cannot forget that today is, in fact, Palm Sunday, uh, which is that Sunday before Easter. Here and the day that we celebrate the triumphal entry uh, of Jesus into Jerusalem. Uh, and that comes, again, at the end of his, his uh, earthly ministry and earthly life as well. So uh, if you've been with us during this time in John, uh, it's preaching series in the Gospel of John, you know that we're just a few chapters past uh, Jesus' triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem, and we're in the part of the gospel where Jesus has, he's fully transitioned now from, from his ministry to a multitude, uh, now to that personal time with uh, the remaining 11 disciples, and uh, as he goes through this discourse uh, all the way up into uh, chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, uh, if you have not already, turn in your Bibles, would you please turn to me with, with John, uh, we'll be starting in in John 15 today, uh, verse 26, again in verse 26, we'll be going all the way to uh, chapter, through chapter 16, verse 15. If you do not have a Bible, feel free to grab the one uh, It might be in front of you under the, uh, under the front chair right there. Uh, we'll be on page uh, 848 in the provided Bibles. You guys have noticed uh, the title of today's sermon, uh, He Will Glorify Me. We'll be, we'll be talking about the person uh, and work of the Holy Spirit that has nothing to do with me and everything to do with the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if I were to make uh, an assumption right now, which I'm going to, uh, I'd assume that we as Christians, if you are a Christian in the audience here, uh, maybe even if you're not a Christian, that you have heard of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, and if you are a Christian, that you do, in fact, hold fast uh, to the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. You could probably name off God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? And you could probably comfortably name off some of the various names the Bible has given to the Holy Spirit. Helper. Comforter, Advocate, Counselor, Spirit of Truth. We see Spirit of Truth twice today in the text. And you know, I guess I'm, I'm probably missing a few more on there as well. But I start with this because as I was beginning my study here uh, in, in this week's passage, um, I asked a simple question to somebody. Uh, so I asked the question of, hey, what what do you really know about person and work of, of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so with a short pause, eyes wide open like deer in the headlights, I get the answer, not much outside of it's the third person of the Trinity. And they got one thing right because in fact the Holy Spirit is a divine person of the Holy Trinity. But that's, that's to my point is it's not to any fault of their own uh, and really most believers, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm guilty of it as well, but we often, this is, this is the part of the person of the Holy Trinity which we simply, we just gloss over. 
And we gloss over it without even knowing it in Scripture. Specifically, like we see in today's text, it, it, only, it penetrates only at surface level. And one author states it well. He says, Many excellent books have been written on the person and work of Christ. Absolutely. But the number of books worth reading on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, even in the charismatic era, is small. Christian people are not in doubt as to the work that Christ did. They know that He redeemed us by His atoning death, even if they differ among themselves as to to what is exactly involved with that. But for the average Christian, deep down, is in a complete fog as to what work the Holy Spirit does. Now, I'm not claiming to, to know it all when it comes to the person and work of the Holy Spirit by any means at all. But I do recognize that uh, if it were not for the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel, there would be no faith, no divinely inspired scriptures to what we are reading from, no church, In fact, there would be no Christianity at all. So throughout the Gospel of John, uh, he has shown us how Christ related to the mission of of the Spirit, to the will and purpose of both the Father and the Son. And as we read through today's text, uh, if you are a Christian, I want you to remember the partnership. This perfect partnership that you have entered into with the Holy Spirit, the moment that you at the moment of salvation when he enabled us as sinners to see the truth of God's gospel. I'll say that again. Remember the partnership that you have entered into with the Holy Spirit from the moment of salvation when he enabled us as sinners to see the truth of God's gospel. And before I read through through today's text, uh, the, the tone that John uses when writing this, it's, it's heavy. There's a solemn reality. As Jesus explains uh, that he will soon depart and go and endure the cross. You have to, you have to look forward a little bit in today's text. Then he, he brings it back from, from that heavy, solemn reality to a joyful promise. Uh, that this is not it. That this is not the end. That that he will send them a helper to continue in what Jesus has shown them and will soon commission them to do. I have one question before I go into today's today's reading. It says, as a follower of Christ, uh, do you recognize the necessity of the Holy Spirit in and for the Christian life? As a follower of Christ, do you recognize the necessity of the Holy Spirit in and for the Christian life? Would you join me as I read through today's text? Starting again in chapter 15, verse 26. John writes, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. 
I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not shown the Father, nor have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked, asked me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I do go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, may your name be exalted by the saints today. Through our singing, prayer, and the preaching of your word, Spirit, I pray that you would stir our hearts to worthy, worthy and right worship. And God, I pray that you would help to convict those who do not yet know you, that they would come to true and saving faith by the hearing and preaching and teaching of your word. God, I thank you so much. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I have two points uh, today uh, as we go through today's text. And uh, how I have it broken down is uh, from John 15, 26, all the way to 16, the first half of verse 4. First point for today is as Christians... The Holy Spirit empowers us to witness rightly and magnify the person and work of Jesus Christ. As Christians, the Holy Spirit empowers us to witness rightly and magnify the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now we finished uh, most of chapter 15 uh, last week as Eddie preached through that, but I think in order for us to completely grasp how I have it structured, uh, we do need to step back uh, in verses 18 to 25 uh, where Jesus is talking about the hatred of the world. And really what I want to highlight is in, in starting in verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. 
Jesus gets done uh, explaining to his disciples that the world will hate them because the world has hated Jesus, uh, that if they persecuted Jesus, they will surely themselves be persecuted, right? Listen, these are really heavy things that the 11 disciples are having to listen to as Jesus is getting ready and preparing to tell them that he is going to depart from them. Remember, Jesus is, in fact, in his final hours of life before he endures the cross. So as he's explaining to them, as he's continuing with his discourse to the disciples, um, how can they bear the weight of what Jesus is saying to them? I mean, this is talk of hatred, this talk of persecution, all in the name of Jesus Christ. But it's broken up by a promise, starting here in verse 26. Jesus says, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. It's not an if statement, it's it's a when. And in other words, Jesus is exhorting and he's offering consolation to his disciples. He, He wants them to understand that even though he is in fact Uh, soon going to be leaving them physically, and that the hatred of the world is upon them, just as it has hated Jesus, they can rest and know that he will, in fact, send a helper. And he is going to testify about me. I'll use that word, testify, and bear witness interchangeably throughout this as well. Now, so the the 11 disciples, again, they've, they've been with Christ from the beginning for the last three years approximately. I believe that in this section of Scripture, uh, in uh, the text of chapter 16, uh, the latter half of the text that we're going to explore today, I think that further expounds on uh, what it is that the disciples whom Jesus has appointed, I think that uh, that that further describes what they're going to be responsible for. The continuation of the ministry that they themselves are going to carry Uh, by the help of the Holy Spirit, by the work of the Holy Spirit, and that this work will be accomplished through them. Jesus, in this discourse, he he pulls their attention back and he he reiterates by saying, he said, I've I've said all these things. He said, I've said all these things to keep you from following, to keep you from falling away. He's not only referring back to the two previous verses when he promises the helper, but looking back in chapter 14, verses uh, 15 to 26, where Jesus' initial promise of the Holy Spirit will be given to them as another helper to be with them forever. I want you to think for a second uh, for Jesus' purpose for refocusing the disciples' attention. Why does he do this? So Jesus, even in his final hours, seeks to care for his disciples. Like his comforting speech. Just like he said to them, I'm sorry, he does not want them to flee when they come across the opposition that is coming their way. He doesn't want them to fall. He doesn't want them to stumble. These things that Jesus is referring to is previously talked about hatred of the world. 
So I want you to understand something that the true source of this hatred, uh, this true source of hatred that they have for Christ, that the world has for Christ, this is not anything new. You know, throughout the entire Old Testament, up to this point, the world's hatred is found for the hatred of God. And all Jesus did was confirm that hatred. He explains to his disciples that as they are going to continue on, the towns that they grew up in, the synagogues that they grew, grew up around in, they're going to be indeed thrown out of them. It's a, think of it as a type of, of excommunication. They will, they will feel an ultimate detachment from this Jewish culture in which they have, they have grown up in for the majority of their life. They will soon be considered to be outsiders. So even more as Jesus goes on to tell them, said, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. I want to say that again. He says, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And Jesus is talking about the hatred of the world. He's talking about the opposition, the persecution that is about to come. And now he gets to the point of where he's talking about death. That for what they are about to do, these 11 disciples, they are going to carry the work of Jesus Christ to the nations. And they are going to eventually, as we know it now, as New, new Covenant believers, as New Testament readers, that they will be martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. But again, how can they bear the weight of exactly what he is saying? Remember, we're, we're witnessing a one-way conversation between, between Jesus and his disciples. That is it. If we remember Peter, uh, back in chapter 13, verse 37, he, he exclaims to Jesus, he's got such zeal for Jesus, and he's willing to do anything uh, himself uh, to continue the work of Jesus. He explains, he says to him that he would lay down his life for him. Jesus, knowing all things, he quickly said that, no, Peter, <laughs> the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. And again, that indeed comes to pass. Again, with this text, you guys, you have to look forward a little bit as we're, as we're reading through today's text. Uh, but now what they don't know, and, and again, we know that in the face of this opposition, uh, this, this, this martyrdom that they are going to endure, uh, we know that that is, is going to happen. So how can they be strengthened and encouraged to face this opposition? Well, again, like Jesus has said to them in the beginning, he started with, but when the helper comes to you, they will be strengthened by the Spirit. The Spirit who bears witness, and he goes on later to say that you too will bear witness. In the midst of, of opposition and hostility, I ask you guys, as we, we endure it today. Are you prepared to face that opposition and hostility as followers of Christ?
Well, we may not physically feel it at times here uh, in the United States. We do live comfortably, and I say that again, we do live comfortably here. Uh, We're not going to uh, likely be martyred for our faith. We still do live in a broken world that hates anything to do with God. This, this answers a great question uh, going into and looking forward again that uh, you have to think about the disciples' role in God's greater plan for redemption. Again, Christ has not yet endured the cross. As we move into uh, my second point, the Holy Spirit reveals the glory of Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. The Holy Spirit reveals the glory of Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. Starting in the second half of of verse 4, it reads, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Now we begin to see uh, Jesus transition once again, again from the obvious, that in fact the disciples, they have been physically with him from the beginning. They've lived with Jesus, they've traveled with Jesus, performed miracles in his name, so on. It's one thing that he wants them to grasp. He wants them to grasp that it's no longer to rely on being with me, Jesus. I am not Jesus. I am talking here in in context of the scriptures. With me, Jesus, physically. But now he wants them to transition on living a life that will soon be lived in Christ and lived by the Spirit. So transitioning from living physically with Jesus to now living with, living a life that will soon be lived in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. He wants the disciples to, to fully unmask and grasp the object of their faith. He wants them to make God the center and to fit themselves into God's perfect mission and purpose for the redemption of his people. He does not want them to fill themselves up with the sorrow, though they do. This type of sorrow that will eventually lead to fear and doubt as they are going to endure what comes as they take the work and ministry of Christ to the nations. But he pushes them to understand why, in fact, they began to follow Jesus in the first place. And to look forward to what he is going to accomplish in and through them by the work of the Holy Spirit. I keep repeating myself, but I said for us to completely grasp and understand this in the context of of how Jesus is talking to them right now in the final hours of his life. A lot of this is going to happen afterwards, even uh, as Christ endures the cross and as we enter into the acts of the disciples, the acts of the apostles, uh, when they do in fact receive the Holy Spirit. This work that he is talking about, the accomplished work that's on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection, the most important piece, the resurrection piece. Again, we as New Testament readers, we understand this now. Um, Again, 
to think of the weight that the, uh, the apostles are going to be holding as they bear witness to this Jesus whom they've been with as they, they seek to transition from a life that is physically with them to a life that is now living in Christ. Jesus says to them, Nevertheless, I tell you, I tell you the truth. Really, would Jesus have to say any more than that than I, have to, I tell you the truth? Christ is the ultimate truth, right? Now, he, he proceeds to say, It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The scripture reading that we, we had this morning in Ezekiel 36, 22 to 36, specifically in, in verse 27, it's on purpose. Because here's, here's what we see uh, talked about as, as Ezekiel talks to the nation of Israel. It says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This prediction then this promise will become an, in, an effective inward work of God that is now coming to pass. So there's a turning point in the conversation here. And Jesus is bringing it all in uh, on these, these next few verses. Again, just remember the hatred of the world that we, that we talked about in the first few verses. The suffering, the persecution, the hostility, the opposition that is to come, the death that they themselves will uh, entail uh, when their hour does come as we look to the hour that Jesus is going to be nailed to the cross, that the Spirit will empower, the Spirit will strengthen them as they will eventually be the ones that go and therefore take the gospel to the nations. He goes on further to talk about what exactly the Spirit will do in this world once he comes. For you military folk here, all I could think about was, uh, there's a term that um, most of you may know. It's called, it's, it's referred to as a passage of lines, okay? Jonathan Gentry, I don't know if this will be on your test next week or not, but here you go. <laughs> uh, it's, Pat, what a passage of line is, it's when one force moves forward through another force, another force's position specifically, with the intent of continuing to move into contact with the enemy. So this is in the context of, of battle. It's basically a transfer of responsibility from one force to another. And there's two, two commanders involved in this. But with the same end state in mind. So too, in relation to this, will the ministry of the Holy Spirit convict and expose the sin for what it truly is. It will convict the, of righteousness by how the world views righteousness, not what we know to be as righteousness that's only found in the blood of Jesus Christ. And judgment, because at the cross, the judgment of the world, its ruler, Satan, will be accomplished. The defeat of Satan will be accomplished. This transfer of Christ's work the person, the work of Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, it is going to be continued through the work of the Holy Spirit that will be transferred from them and the disciples will go therefore and take it to the nations. In these last few verses, Jesus transitions yet again. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
everything that we have seen today in the text, this coming persecution, the suffering, the hatred of the world, that will continue against them. All with this lingering presence of knowing that Jesus would soon be physically leaving them. It makes sense as to why Jesus says what he says, that they cannot bear any more to him, to bear him to say anything else to them. To expound on that a little bit, and in fact Jesus does, on what the Spirit will do and how he will affect the disciples when he in fact does come. The truth that he will bring to the disciples as the Spirit of truth, we hear it twice now, the Spirit of truth is connected to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Remember back in chapter 14, verse 5 and 6, when Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to them, I am the way, I am, in the tru- I am the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This truth that Jesus is talking about is the truth that he is in fact living out. He is the truth. There is no other truth. It is not a new truth that the Spirit will bring. It is the truth that is found only in and of ourselves because of Jesus Christ and the Spirit who has opened our blind eyes to that truth. It's a concrete truth that has been set forth by Jesus and it cannot be received with any type of reasoning. It is God's truth that the Spirit will lead and guide the disciples in. And fast forward to every single one of you that have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ is the truth that you now live in and carry with you everywhere that you go. The Spirit will glorify Jesus. He will continue. He will extend the kingdom of God that he had already established on the earth so beautifully complements the ministry of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So all of that to say, how does this apply to us today as New Covenant believers, as 21st century Christians? Well, for the Christian, at the moment of salvation, he lives in and he provides us with the powerful living And the guidance in in doing what is right. Not what the world thinks is right, but the right that we now know by the revealed word of God. There's a ton of ways that the world wants to tell you what is right. But through God's word that we we read that has been given to us. And the work of the Holy Spirit, we can know what right is. The Holy Spirit alone by his witness to Christ authenticates our witness. It authenticates our witness to the world. And just as those who Jesus says will persecute and seek to kill the disciples think that they are offering up service to God. They think that they are offering a service to God because they simply do not know God. I think the same thing to be true today for the Christian as we live as exiles. Yes, we live as exiles in a world that does not want us in it. We are salt and light and they hate it. For the Christian, our lives are marked differently than everyone else. And they should know that. People should know that. When you walk into work, your children should see that every day. If you are a parent, they should see that every day. It is not a faith that is pushed off on them as their parents. But it is a faith that you now live out to the glory of Christ through the Spirit. It means a few things, our conduct, our behavior, ultimately our character, how we deal with suffering and trials. And I pray, I pray 
that none of you has to go through any type of physical hardship to witness any of your children go through any physical pain. But I will tell you right now, there is no endurance that is built up in you like the hardship and trials of physical pain and physical suffering or having to watch a child go through cancer. I will tell you right now that it is for nothing. Endure it. Grow in it. Have the Spirit grow with you and walk with you along, alongside of you in that. You want to continue to know Christ? You want to continue to show the world what it means to live in Christ? Endure the hardships and pain and suffering that the world gives you and find joy in it. Paul writes in Romans 8, verses 7 and 9, he says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it, it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are on the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not, does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And just like Jesus had just gotten done saying to his disciples, he will bear witness about me. It's a reminder when we bear witness about Jesus that the Spirit is actively working through us, through our words, through our conduct. We're outsiders in this world. We live in exile as we wait, as we patiently await our heavenly reward. One thing that I want to pull on here is we have heard it time and time again as Jesus and his disciples that we see throughout the Gospel of John, love. A love that can be only known and accomplished through the Spirit. Because the Spirit bears witness and continues the work of Jesus. Same goes for us as new covenant believers in this still broken world. This love, this love cannot be touched apart from Christ. I will tell you right now, there is a million different things that this world is going to tell you what love is. There is no love like this, and you can only know it through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's an unnatural love for the rest of the world to fear. And it's a distinguishing mark of the true disciple of Jesus Christ. We look back to chapter 15, where Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It is not a natural love, but an unnatural love that we have been given in the life in Christ by the Holy Spirit. We look back in chapter 13. He says it again, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That is important. And that is important to understand and grasp that you, apart from Christ, cannot love in the manner that the Holy Spirit can make us love. If we look forward to John's letter in 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, he says, and, and this in his commandment, that we believe in the same of the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Abide and love. Abide means to conform. Conform to the love in which we can only know through Jesus Christ. It is the Spirit who, is, who has empowered us to keep these commands. You know, one thing that uh, Eddie had mentioned last week, and it was beautiful, um, he said that there is no Christless Christian. And that stuck with me through my time uh, in study this week. And I just want to say amen to that. 
absolutely amen to that. There's one thing that I would like to add to that. That without the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, there would be no faith. There would be no new birth, no Christianity at all. Because the Son who does the will of the Father and the Spirit who does the will of both the Son and the Father. It is not us who climbs our way up to God, but it is God who so graciously came to us by His Son and then gave us the Holy Spirit. Would you guys please pray with me? Father, we see the importance of just not glossing over the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, it is the Spirit who empowers us as New Covenant believers uh, to do the work uh, that we have been called to. So God, I pray that uh, as we continue uh, to carry your name to our neighbor, to the nations, Lord, that your Spirit would guide us in that endeavor. I pray that the Spirit would help to illuminate our, our eyes each and every time that we enter into time of reading your word. God, I pray for those who do have a hardened heart today. God, that you would pierce their heart. Pierce it as the two-edged sword that your word is. And I pray that they would come to true repentance and faith in you, Jesus. God, I thank you for this time this morning. Uh, may we continue on as we worship you rightly and and praise your great name. In Jesus' name, amen.